This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome to a very special edition of Fringeworthy, the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk in general about the game, why we love it, and, and give you a basic overview of the game, because we know that there's a lot of people coming to the website who may not be familiar with Fringeworthy as a game, who have, may have seen us through a podcast listing and said, hey, it's a new podcast, let's check it out, see what it's about. We know that most of our podcasts are very specific on details, and they kind of assume that you know about Fringeworthy. So this time we're going to make sure that everyone understands by giving you an overall view of Fringeworthy. Now, I am Bruce Sheffer. I'm from Atlanta, and I'm one of the hosts. And with me is John Ryer. Hi. <laughs> John Ryer is from Washington State, and Otto Blix is from Baltimore, Maryland. We all get together once a week, and we talk about what we think is really awesome about Fringeworthy and how to make your campaign better. So let's get to the point of it. You have probably come in here and you've seen our listing of all the various things that we say Fringeworthy is about, like pirates and dinosaurs and time travel and Stargate, and you're like, how can a game be all about all those things? Well, we're going to give you a little backstory to understand what it's about. If you've seen the show Stargate, you're going to understand a lot of, about this game because, like Stargate, it is much about exploring through portals to other worlds. But we came first. <laughs> Friends Radio came out in 1980 and has been through four editions, and it definitely predated the TV show. But that's fine. If you came from Stargate, we're happy to have you, and we hope to give you a reason to keep playing. John, tell us how the first portal was discovered. Well, it was discovered by Dr. Hatsumi. He's a famous climatologist from Japan. He was down in the Antarctic studying global warming on White Island. Fisher had opened up north of the island, and they decided to go down into that fissure to get some ice samples, and in the process discovered a giant domed area, domed over with a force field. Inside, they found trees, a roadway. Everything's frozen south, of course. On the roadway, there was evidence of someone dragging themselves, leaving behind a trail of blood. They decided to follow him toward the building. That's where they found the frozen body of Captain Oates, raid of the Scott Expedition. And he'd been there 90 to 100 years. On this person, they found a journal. Inside the journal was an unknown orchid species. And in his hand, which was pried loose, was a crystal. When Sayuri touched it, it flashed bright and she got a little thrill through her body as the crystal recognized her as being fringeworthy. The reason why Captain Oates was dragging himself to the building was that inside was this large silver ring, 25 foot across. In the center is a pitch black surface, blacker than any black you could ever imagine. No light shines off it at all. It just eats light. There's a pair of ramps leading up to it, and the entire team walked through it. Sayuri was the last one who walked through it. When she walked through it, she didn't come out the other side. And the reason she didn't come out the other side was because she actually passed through the ring and ended up in an interdimensional space. She ended up on a metal platform that was 600 feet across that had eight more of these 25-foot-wide discs. Around it was this strange star field. But when she moved, the stars seemed to move as well. So it was a very strange place. It wasn't like a normal place at all. And it was very quiet. And she decided to go on and explore instead of going back. No one knows why she did. On the end of the platform was this really big 50-foot-wide portal. And when she went through that, she found a roadway that was almost 50 miles long. And she went down that and came to another platform. 
And on that platform was more of these portals. So there seemed to be an endless series of roadways and platforms. And she went through a portal there. She found herself in a strange kind of desert-like place that had a beautiful oasis on it and a tree in the center of it. And on that tree was a strange alien. He was not exactly a bear, you know, but he had ears like a bear. And he wasn't like a monkey, but he had a long prehensile tail. And he wasn't uh, a man, but he could speak. And he let himself down from the tree by his tail. And he welcomed Sunyuri and told her that there were a million, million worlds for her to discover. Well, she spent some time with Smurt. That was the name of the alien. And she even went inside the tree because it was intelligent, and Schmertz said it was his home. And later on, she went back. And when she did, she went back to the portal, and she found that she'd been gone a week. Everybody was worried. But then she said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, and look what I found. And she held out the crystal that she'd been holding all this time, glowing in her palm, and they realized that she had been someplace really spectacular. Her uncle said, we've got to make sure that this doesn't end up somebody's black project. We've got to make sure that this is for the world. And so he and Sanuri and the rest of all the scientists made a plan. Because Sanuri held this crystal, she realized that this crystal reacted to the fact that she had this special quality that only she was able to go through the portals. And she knew that it could find more fringeworthy people. She decided to go to America by the longest route possible through all the major airports. And while she did, she tried to find fringeworthy people. People, she had this hot, cold kind of feeling, and she tried to find people as she went through. She finally got to New York because they were all heading to the UN building. Because Dr. Hatsumi knew, get the word out, the best place was to go to the UN. He went ahead. And he contacted his government, he contacted the UN, and he said, I have the most stupendous information you've ever seen. I have made some great discoveries in the Antarctic, and everybody must be known. He's a world-famous climatologist. He's going to talk about global warming. He's probably going to tell us something bad. Everybody said, okay, we're going to give you a special session of the UN, and you're going to be able to release all your findings, and everyone's going to know, and we're all going to be in the same boat. And so they had a special session, and he says, guess what? I discovered an ancient portal to a million, million worlds across who knows how many universes. And it's there in the Antarctic, which is international territory. So Yuri was there by then, and she held open the crystal in her hand, and they could all see it glowing, and the whole place erupted into chaos. Part of Dr. Atumi's presentation was a live feed from the Antarctic of the portal. First ones off the plate were the Americans and the New Zealanders who are actually close. They came flying over the uh, ice you yeah. know, in, their, in their helicopters and such, trying to be their first to protect the portal, right? Yep, and pretty soon like, other countries started showing up. Security Council made a decision and contacted the one person who could take charge of the situation and run it, which was General Borodin. He flew over the South Pole just to get there. Being an experienced Arctic and Antarctic explorer, he had no problems getting there. He landed and took charge of the situation and, and claimed it in, in the name of the U.N. Right, because it was very clear with all those military personnel that if they didn't keep it in the U.N., then they would have a war over this and the whole – and it might have been the last war because 
it wasn't hard for people to realize how valuable control of such a thing as a portal to another world could be. The stuff that they will eventually find on the French path could have given one country an, a sizable edge against every other country out there. The French rate term didn't actually come into being until the first mission. Well, the French-worthy term came from the media. They referred to the strange interdimensional space as the fringes of universes, and the people who were able to use the portal were called fringe-worthy. Not everybody is fringe-worthy, right? They figured out one person in 100,000 is fringe-worthy. In Beijing, Sayuri did get at least a couple of hits, and one of them turned out to be Wei Lei, the third fringe-worthy they found. The second fringe-worthy was Gordon, who actually ran into Sayuri while she was looking for him on his, on his bicycle. She was on the way to the UN at the time. Searching around and, of course, picked him up. He was really hot. Going, oh, it's supposed to be over here or over there. Walk, 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 wham, right into the path of the bicycle. And so you had Samuri, Gordon, and Wee Lai. That actually formed the core of the first Fringeworthy team. Everyone was so eager to go and find out what was out there that they put them through a crash course of survival and things like that and pretty much pushed them through the portal and said, go find something interesting. The original project was to go see Schmert, bring him a welcome to the UN pack and all that good stuff. They put him on the hunger, drove it into the portal. The engine abruptly died. At the so the portal did something to the electrical system of the vehicle? Yeah, drained the batteries completely. And the Hummer's computer was completely shot for like 15 minutes before it was able to work again. So the physics on the French pass are much different than that of a regular world. Yes. It was very hard for them to do the initial exploration. They did finally get out to that world where supposedly Sanuri had met Schmertz, but it turned out that there was nothing there but a bunch of garbage. There was like a big garbage dump there, and they found a tree, but nothing like what she remembered. Yeah. So yeah. that's when they began to think that maybe some of the things that she was remembering was actually planted there by Schmertz. Yep. She was in the same situation as everyone else. She really didn't know what was out there until they went out and explored. So let's talk about this first team. What kind of team do we have here? Sayuri is a climatologist like her uncle. Right. Gordon is a bicycle messenger. So that's what he can do. He can ride a bicycle. Well, I mean, he's also good mechanics and so forth. And uh, we lie. She worked on a fish farm, and she basically sold fish in the market. <laughs> <laughs> Not your Doc Savage, Professor Challenger, expert kind of team, was it? It's your dirty dozen group, only with less skills. <laughs> And in Fringeworthy, that is pretty much what's to be expected. When you form a team, you're going to be forming a team of people who have been taught basic survival skills. But outside of that, they're pretty much a shuffling of all possible skills. It's not a well-matched-up team in the sense that everybody's skills dovetail into each other and everybody is able to cover a lacking that somebody else has because there aren't enough Fringeworthy to make those kinds of crack expert-type teams. Yeah. In many ways, it would be like you and your friends as you're sitting around a table and saying, look at all my friends. They're all different kinds of people. What if we were all thrown together and said, hey, let's go and explore some alien world? That's what it's like, because that's what your team is like. And probably in the same physical position as well. So they make them work pretty hard at that training base they have at Alice Springs in Australia. First thing you do is not go to Alice Springs. They actually send you to Hatsumi, run you through a portal, and run you back through, 
So you all can now speak the same language. The portal gives you the same language? That's right, because Waylay didn't speak English, but she did it when she came out. Oh, the portal. So <laughs> it grants you the dominant language on the Earth side of the portal. Which makes it much easier to explore an alien world, because when you go through, no matter what language they're speaking there, you're going to be able to speak it and understand it. Now, this is a function of the portal that does this, right? This is something that's been built into the portal, say, for explorers traveling, so they don't have to know a million different languages. That's correct. And you'll have the uh, the accent, and it'll be natural to you. Like, you'll be thinking in that language as well, then. What kind of worlds can we go to? What can we go to? What can we expect to find there? You go through the portal, you end up on a platform, and then from there you follow the path to a world. When you go to that world, most of the time you're going to be going to an alternate of Earth. It could be an alternate Earth in the sense that maybe a different species is dominant. Maybe uh, bears are intelligent and they have their own cities. Or it could be like Planet of the Apes. It could be a world in which some event in the past changed. The Roman Empire never set. Or the British Empire never set. It could be a world in which it's actually futuristic because way back in Socrates' time, they decided to really embrace logic and there was never a, a fall, and, or maybe the Library of Alexandria never burned down and that knowledge was disseminated and scientific progress was faster, and so now they're all flying jet cars and, and all kinds of things. So the GM, the, uh, the referee, the person who designed the adventure, he has really carte blanche to decide what kind of a world you're going to be exploring and why it's going to be interesting to explore that world. Because Bridgeworthy is not a travelogue. It's not about just going through and seeing strange vistas and towering mountains and dragons flying through the air. It's about conflict. It's about adventure. It's about a story and people having to deal with a situation. So there's always a story involved, and that's the referee's job, the uh, adventure designer's job, to make that adventure so that when you go through, you have something interesting to do, something that your character can make a significant contribution to. Because why are they out on the fringe paths in the first place, John? Here's a big alien machine. That's what the fringe paths are. And we would love to actually find the makers and ask them, how can you make this? But beyond that, we also want to find, well, stuff. There's got to be better stuff out there than what we got on Earth. We can find it and replicate it. We can improve our way of life on Earth. Right, because there's a lot of problems on Earth. We have problems with providing ourselves with enough energy. We have problems with feeding people. We have problems with disease. We have problems with education and everybody having a good quality of life. I'm not saying that technology is always the solution for that, but we've seen that in the, the countries in which they have a lot of technology, most of those people are living better. So it makes sense to go and try to find things out on the fringe paths, considering it, obviously they've got super science to build it in the first place that might be able to turn Earth into a better place than it is. There's natural resources out there. On a world where there's no people, but still matches with the geography. Hey, I know where all the easy to get oil is in, in Pennsylvania and Texas, as well as where the big oil is in, in Arabia. Those are easy to get resources. So here you are, an explorer. You find yourself fringeworthy, and they says, join IDEPT, the International Exploration Teams, and you say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go out and find the solutions to the problems. I'm going to be part of the solution. They send you down to Australia to the Alice Spring Training Base. You get trained. 
and they send you over to Hatsumi Base. They have all kinds of great equipment, so you're able to get a vehicle, and you find other people that you want to be explorers with. Then the IDEC command says, okay, here's a portal we want you to explore. And they give you all this information that they've been able to gather by sending probes through and taking readings off the pylon that sits outside of it with little indicators as to gravity and temperature and things. Once you think you've got an, a pretty good idea of what you're going to expect and you've got the right equipment that you think will be able to make you successful, then you and your team go out and go to the portal and live the adventure. And that's what Fringeworthy is all about. It's about going out and finding the adventure and living through it and coming back to tell the tale. So, John, that's what I think is awesome about Fringeworthy. Is there anything else you think is awesome about Fringeworthy? I've always liked the different worlds you can find. Since I've always run the game, I've always created unique and odd worlds that you can venture on where the Chinese had contacted the Mayans for what's called the Chayan Empire which is a mixture of Chinese and Mayan uh, mythology and, and practices. The players had no clue whatsoever what was going on on that world because it was just so different from what they were used to. It was not a Western civilization. It was a mixture of Chinese and Mayan practices. It was time for the human sacrifice. There it was. Even though these are people with radio and TV, they're also having the daily sacrifice to the sun god. What you found really great about Fringeworthy is that the worlds could always surprise you. They could always have a, a turn or a twist that you weren't expecting, and all of a sudden, you're not in Kansas anymore. Definitely not, Toto. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Otto? What do you think? I was always a player for the most part. I didn't too much uh, game mastering in Fringeworthy for our group. So a really good player's perspective. I always liked the interesting stuff you could find go somewhere, and it was always Tremelon technology. It was always a big thing to, to find. And I always enjoyed the complications that the, the big enemy out there brought about, the threat of the Meller. And again, with John, I, to agree with where he's going with this, I liked going into a world and not having a clue what was going on. There were so many things that were similar, but at the same time, so very different. But I have to say that what made Fringeworthy different than, say, any other potential interdimensional game, the actual story of this genre with the Tamerlan and the Meller and the, the Kigak and the Slargs and, and all that. I, I found that very interesting. I, I thought that was very well developed. You know, when I grew up, the coolest thing around was the James Bond films. And I just absolutely loved the gadgets. And in Fringeworthy, you can have gadgets galore. You can have inflatable tents. You can have vehicles that have bridges that fold out from them. Now, all the specialized equipment that they only use in specialized situations and that cost millions of dollars, I could use because I'm one out of 100,000. They need me. They're going to give me the equipment I want. So I could always have really cool equipment, and then I could go out on the French Fest and find even more cool equipment. I could find jetpacks, and I could find worlds where you, you stepped on a strip and got accelerated to 150 miles an hour and zipped around a city. Telepathy. Even worlds where there were magic. There were all kinds of cool things you could find and bring back but also use while you were out there and going to world to world. So it was just kind of a, a real gadget fest for me, and I just loved that part of it. So assuming you're still with us, <laughs> we hope that you're excited about the game and that you think that maybe this is something you'd like to try. 
If you do want to try it, I'm perfectly willing to run a sample session for you guys through Skype. I'll make that a, a public offer. Anybody who wants to try out the game before they buy, you can contact me through email at bshefferdaol.com or through the tritacgamers.com site. Since you came to our website, hopefully, at tritacsystems.podbean.com, you found our webpage and and our forums are over at tritacgamers.com. Tritac is the company that owns Fringeworthy, so it's all kind of driven to that. I would be glad to run sessions for you. I'll be glad to help you create characters because some people have never role-played. Some people don't know the D20 modern system. You know, We're pretty much system agnostic, but we know there's a lot of people out there who do know D20, and so we said, hey, you know, we want to make this as easy as possible for you to play this game for the first time to get access to a lot of cool stuff like equipment and things, which are available in lots and lots of books that people published uh, over the last few years for the D20 system. I'm willing to do that. I don't know if John or, or Otto, you're, you're interested in doing some uh, game sessions for people if they want to do it, but that's the first thing. I just want you to know that we are a resource that you can tap. We will be glad to schedule that for you, but the first step is for you to find a few people that also want to play. If you like the show Stargate and you said, boy, I really wish I was part of one of those teams, you can be. It's a different world. It's not quite the same thing, but I think you'll find our game is even better. Well, we've had 30 years to refine it, and it really is a truly wonderful place on, on the Prince Path. And secondly, you'll have the resources of all these people who want you to succeed in the game. So once you've got those people for a game, talk to us. Schedule a session with us so we can show you how to play the game, how to create some characters, and somewhere in that, order the game. It's 19.95. You can get it from tritacgames.com. Uh, it's a PDF, and so you, you can put it right on your computer, and you can reference it anytime you want it. We have sample characters. We're going to have them on our websites and make it available to you. We want to make this as easy as possible for you to get into this and enjoy it. Okay. And, and and if you want to run the game, we will help you learn the system. Of course, if you want to use another system, if you're that into role-playing games, that's great, too. We don't mind. We're system agnostic. Most of the game, once you buy it from TriTech, you'll see that it really isn't that system-specific. It originally was for another system entirely. So it really won't be that hard to do, and we will be glad to help you in any way. We invite you to join us to explore the million, million worlds that exist out there. And we hope that you will let us know that you listen to this podcast and that you're excited about it and you want to join with us. And don't forget, it doesn't have to be in place of another game. You could have a current campaign going on and you might want to mix it up. You might want to add this in at some point. Perhaps your game's getting a little stale and you want to spice it up. You can always throw the French path in. You don't have to be part of the, uh, the prime world. You could be one of the alternates down the pathway. Your group could be the ones to discover the portal on your world. The game of Prince Ray is completely cross-genre, which means it can be Western combined with fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, or it could be high space adventure with Flash Gordon. It could be modern espionage. You could say it could be Western again. You could have dinosaurs. You can have pirates. Pirates, pirates. All that can be in the same campaign, though I suspect they won't be in the same venture, but they could very easily be in the same campaign. 
There's nothing limiting you in this game. Anything is possible. We want you to join us. And until then, this is Bruce Shepard from Atlanta saying, remember, there are millions of worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, don't shoot the portals. They shoot back.